Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. You or someone you know may be hooked on something. You may be addicted and feel like you cannot stop. You may think you are trapped, and whether you admit it or not, you feel like a slave. When an overpowering urge comes over you, you have the impression that you cannot say no because it is in control. It can be alcohol, drugs, pornography, video games, a smartphone, or many other things. You may have tried to stop before and failed. Now you believe there is no way out. This leaves you weary, full of sorrow, and hopeless. And, as a result of the addiction, perhaps your life is filled with chaos and disorder. The bad news is that the thing you are addicted to has taken over, and if it is not put to an end soon, it will end everything else in your life. The good news is that there is hope. There is hope because there is a way out, and that way out is guaranteed to work because it does not ultimately rely on your fallible strength. It relies on the power of God. The good news is that you are not merely letting go, but are putting off and then putting on something infinitely better, God himself. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The Apostle explains to us that how a Christian is not dominated by something natural is to be filled with something spiritual. As a result, now God is the dominant power in a believer's life. A Christian who is spirit-filled is not one who walks a path of addiction, sin, destruction, guilt, and shame. Rather, they walk in a path of fullness of life, obedience, joy, and contentment. Indeed, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not some otherworldly, special work of grace after regeneration. It is an ordinary means of grace after justification. So every Christian is empowered to be spirit-filled by the normal process of sanctification. Every Christian includes you. Beloved, there is a surefire way not to be addicted, but that way is only one, and that way is God's way, through Jesus Christ. By His forgiveness, we are washed, cleansed, and made anew. Hence, new creations do not participate in old addictive patterns of life. God is the one who progressively transforms us because God knows why addicts are addicted. The root of the problem is never what they do. The real problem is who they are. Accordingly, a man only manifests outwardly what he is inwardly. Proverbs 4.23 and 23.7 This is why, through repentance, forgiveness, and the power of the Holy Spirit, an addict can be transformed into a new person who puts off old addictions and puts on obedience and holiness. That was a quick, broad overview of how to not be addicted. In what follows, I will expand upon and unpack everything just discussed. But first things first, what is addiction? What does it mean to be hooked on something? Here, we must make a clear distinction between what the world labels addiction and how that term is to be understood biblically. The secular world often labels addiction as a substance abuse disorder. At least that's how it's described in the DSM-5 or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. 
The DSM is relevant only because in the realm of psychiatry, it is the go-to manual for language to describe what is observed in people. Accordingly, to make the descriptive diagnosis of a substance disorder, certain criteria must be met. Examples of such criteria include taking more of something in than you meant to, wanting to cut down but can't, craving for it, continually using it even when it negatively affects other areas of life, and needing more and more of it to feel satisfied. There is nothing glaringly unbiblical about how these criteria describe a person who is addicted. What is unbiblical is when the world begins to offer explanations as to why someone is addicted. The reasons they give are biological and have nothing to do with sin, willful choice, or individual responsibility. I therefore use the word addiction because people tend to get the general idea about what I am trying to communicate. However, I also use the word addiction with caution because I do not agree with what the word implies as to what causes the addiction. Take, for example, what the American Psychiatric Association says on their website, psychiatry.org. On a page titled, What is Addiction?, the APA says, quote, Addiction is a complex condition of brain disease that is manifested by compulsive substance use despite harmful consequence. People with addiction have an intense focus on using a certain substance, such as alcohol or drugs, to the point that it takes over their life. People with a substance use disorder have distorted thinking, behavior, and body functions. Changes in the brain's wiring are what cause people to have intense cravings for the drug and make it hard to stop using the drug, end quote. Do you see what this definition makes explicit? That the reason why an addict does what he does is because of faulty brain wiring. As a result, he cannot help his addiction because he is a passive victim. He is merely a slave to the nerves in his head. This helps to explain why in the same article, the APA goes on to write, quote, People with addictive disorders may be aware of their problem, but may be unable to stop even if they wanted to. End quote. Contrast this to what the Bible says about people, that we cannot be reduced to neurons firing in our brain. Why? Because we are more than just physical bodies. We are human beings made in the image of God, not just soulless body parts. We are conscious moral agents who are able to make a willful choice based on our strongest desire. This does not suggest that our brains are not involved in addiction. It simply means that our brains do not choose for us. We choose using our brains. Consequently, if secular definitions and explanations are deficient, what does the Bible say? That simple. The Bible is crystal clear. Addiction is not a disease. It is a life-dominating sin. For Christians, we are cooperatively members of the temple of God, 1 Corinthians 6.19. We are thus called to glorify God in and with our bodies. And what is an addiction? When we are overrun with desire for something more than God, we end up over-consuming the something, defiling ourselves. Hence, addiction is a dominant sin where we repeatedly choose to use our bodies in ungodly ways. Profaning our bodies mocks God and pollutes His temple. 
Yes, addiction is sin, but it is first and foremost a sin against God. As a result, there is no way a man can get right with himself unless he gets right with God first. Subsequently, the first step toward reconciliation is not therapy or prescription. It's turning away from the addiction via repentance and turning toward God via faith. His power is what enables a man to change permanently. Let us now open our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11 to 11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. While these verses do not use our modern word addiction, what they do is describe how addiction manifests in different individuals. Fornicators are dominated by sexual lust and are addicted to pleasure. The covetous are dominated by what other people have and are addicted to comparison. Drunkards are dominated by fleshly gratification and are addicted to alcohol. Yet, how does the Apostle Paul address his audience? In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9-10, to he describes who they were as in a state of being. He then tells of God's power to deliver them based on who they are now. Paul says there was a complete transformation. They were one thing, but that state of being no longer exists because they now are something else. Verse 11 says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Those whom God has redeemed, He also adopts into a spiritual family. Ephesians 1.5, Galatians 4.5-7 Thus, when you find yourself living in the darkness of addiction, you must go to the only one who can help you, your Heavenly Father. You must go to him as a child goes to his parent, not doubting that he will help, but trusting that he will care and knowing that only he can help. Your heavenly father knows what you need and is eager to help you when you ask in faith. God's promises and word are trustworthy and are backed by the timeless act of sending his son to die on a cross for his own. In Matthew 11:28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That includes all who are weary from their sin of addiction and heavy laden from the guilt and shame that comes along with it. This brings me to my first application point. How to not be addicted, principle number one. Stop just trying to stop. It never works. Instead, start aiming to please God. Seeking to please God first is crucial because you can just cease external behavior without an open Bible. Merely stopping what you do on the outside is not real change. Quitting means the drunk is still a drunk, he just no longer drinks. Quitting means the pornographer is still dominated by lust, he just no longer looks at internet porn. Because who these people are has not changed... A person can pretend but for so long until a stress nudges them to backslide. It's only a matter of time before the unchanged inward person begins to act out. 
In 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, the Apostle Paul does not just stop after talking about who his audience once was. He does not say, nice job everyone, you stopped getting drunk. He transitions from the negative behavior to the positive identity and reminds those in the Corinthian church that they are redeemed sinners who were bought with a price. They are therefore not free to live life pursuing animalistic lusts. They are called to make glorifying God their chief aim. The point is that God is not an addiction genie whom you use as a functional savior. He is not a means to get over an addiction. God is the point, so when you first seek Him and worship Him alone, you become more godly. Psalm 115.8 tells us that we become what we worship. So when we worship God alone, we become more like Him. Becoming more like Christ means you are less and less like an addict. The key then to breaking the chains of addiction is deep transformative inward change. This change begets a new mind, which begets a new way of thinking, which begets new beliefs, which begets new worship, and the end result is new behaviors. So, stop trying to just stop. It never works. Instead, start aiming to please God. The biblical model overall never talks about merely quitting. It talks about replacement, that is, replacing old bad habits with new righteous ones. Part of the reason why people are addicted is because they have a desire for something. God's plan is not for the addict to become desireless, but instead to direct that passion towards something godly. So put off, then put on. You stop doing something by starting to do something else. In the verses that follow, notice the balance of putting off and then putting on. Romans 6.19 says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Colossians 3, 5-10 says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And Ephesians 4, 22-24 says, Lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. This now begs the question, if putting off sin is straightforward, then what positive things do you put on? Where does a person learn specifics as to the positive changes to make in their life? This brings us to our second principle, which flows from the first. So, how to not be addicted, principle number two. Permanent change means lifestyle change. Permanent change actually means permanent change. It means permanently not engaging in sinful patterns of addictive behavior. 
It means old ways of life die and stay dead. It means new way of life live and become more vibrant. It means a complete turnaround so that addiction will no longer be a burden, but rather a historical testimony as to how the power of the Lord delivered you. Remember the core problem with addicts is not what they do, but who they are. Subsequently, the only way to be freed from a life-dominating sin is through life change in every area of life. It means being mindful of potential temptations and installing barriers against unhealthy influences to prevent and prohibit sinful behavior. A real-life example of tweaking your environment would be installing accountability software on your computer like Covenant Eyes or giving your wallet to your spouse so you cannot go and buy liquor. To get started on lifestyle change, you can even make a list of three patterns of life that are sinful and then create another list of three patterns of life that are righteous. The aim is to have the new list replace the old. Ultimately, permanent change means that in life as a whole, you are influenced by the spirit and not the flesh. God's work is always effectual and lasting, so the end result is always lasting, positive change. This brings us back to the end of the last point, which ended with a question. That question was, when it comes to lifestyle change, where does a person learn specifics as to the positive changes to make? And the answer is that each person will have their own unique peculiarities based on their addiction and their situation. But in general, all Christians must embrace the hope-infusing reality that God has provided to us everything pertaining to life and godliness in His Word. 2 Peter 1, 1-5 So, in order to put off addiction, the first two things you can put on is daily Bible reading and prayer. First, if you haven't read the Bible in a while, I recommend starting in the Gospel of John. The key is to make Bible reading a daily habit, so start small so that you can go far and end strong. Reading one chapter a day will take most people less than 10 minutes. Second, set aside a designated time and a designated place every morning for prayer. If you don't know what to say at first, that's okay. You can simply pray in response to what you read in your Bible. Your other option is to pray through the book of Psalms. That is, with an open book, you can read one verse in a psalm, reflect upon what that verse communicates about God, and then praise the Lord in adoration of His attributes. What you will find is that when putting on godliness through scripture reading and prayer, you will not only have less desire to engage in sin, you will also have more strength to fight temptation and live in God's truth. Seen this way, there is a replacement dynamic where being filled with an addictive substance is replaced by something infinitely better, the Holy Spirit. See Colossians 3, 16-17. A great analogy to this is to think of an empty glass. The easiest way to get all the air out of that glass is not to get an expensive, high-pressure vacuum. The easiest way to displace all the air is to do one simple thing. Fill it with water. Now, there is no room in the glass for air because it is filled with a fresh, new liquid. People who are addicted have caught on to something. That is, in many cases, they feel like something is missing, and so they consume more and more in an attempt to fill the heart hole. 
The problem is that natural things cannot fill a spiritual hole designed for God to occupy. Only God is all-satisfying for all of life. This is why, at every point in the new lifestyle, there must be a replacement of the carnal with something spiritual. If any strongholds remain, what invariably happens is that in times of stress, adversity, or trial, a person may resort back into old habits. This leads to the third and final principle. How to not be addicted, principle number three. Permanent change is possible, but gradual. There is a word that is used frequently in biblical counseling circles. It is called habituation. Dehabituation means you stop a habit. Habituation means you create a new one. Habits are hard to break, so it will be challenging when you break the habit of addiction. Yet the good news is that once godly habits become routine, they are even harder to break. Why? Because bad habits are animated by the flesh, but spiritual habits are animated by the Lord. Still, the point is that all habits are not going to miraculously change overnight. Yes, permanent change is possible, but it is gradual. This means over time, by God's sanctifying grace, as bad habits trend down, good habits trend up. Yes, there will be bumps on the road, but what every Christian aims for by God's grace is the overall trend over time. Just as a natural baby grows into an adult over time, the spiritually immature infant grows into a mature adult gradually. I must say that much of the advice given in today's episode was general and it was not tailored to a specific situation. That is because it is hard to give relevant counsel to a specific person without knowing and talking to the person. Hence, if you or someone you know is involved in the sin of addiction, God not only gives us counsel in his word, he has also provided real-life counselors who are eager to help. The American College of Biblical Counselors, or ACBC for short, has a website at biblicalcounseling.com. There, if you click on the tab that says, Find a Counselor, you will be able to search for someone in your area who is certified to give you sound instruction based on biblical truth. ACBC does not point you in the direction of psychiatric counseling or psychological counseling. It's biblical counseling. It's counseling that does not rely on the words of men, but on the wisdom of God. In closing, today we learned principles on how to not be addicted. I hope at least one person found this helpful because you must come to the pressing realization that there are no addicts in the kingdom of God. As 1 Corinthians 9, 10-11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But the story does not end there. By His grace, the Lord empowers you to not be hooked. Kicking a bad habit may seem big and daunting to us, but it is nothing compared to the Almighty God. Thus, the next verse says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Beloved, trust in Christ. 
if your soul is troubled, seek him, and in Jesus you will secure reconciliation with God and at last find rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.